Our first scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, he created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. For when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall never overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, and Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, and peoples in exchange for your life. For fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you up, and I will say to the north, give it up, and to the south, do not withhold, and bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, and everyone who is called by my name, whom I created in for my glory, whom I formed and I made. The word of God for the people of God. Our next scripture reading is Acts 8. 14 through 17. The apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had received the word of God, so they sent Peter and John to join them. When they arrived, they prayed for the believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of, Je of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Our gospel text for today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. We're looking at verses 15 through 17, and then hopping on to 21 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff will burn with unquestionable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. Now when all people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily, in the bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. So one of the most fascinating things about the lectionary to me is the way that over the course of the year, we really just have Jesus' life splayed out in front of us. Over the course of the year, we really go through these high moments these moments that we're supposed to remember, and so we mention them year after year. We have these holidays that connect us with what is going on in the gospel story consistently. Now, last week was Epiphany, the day that we celebrated the visit of the Magi to the Holy Family. Today, as a continuation of the season of Epiphany, we have what some call the second Epiphany in Jesus' baptism. Like Epiphany, Jesus' baptism is a metaphysical phenomenon where the skies open and tell the people of earth something important, something pertinent about Jesus. 
like Epiphany, people on earth learn more about God and about themselves through this event. Like Epiphany, it feels a lot more connected to the beginning of things than to the end of things. So today, as we dive in, pun intended, to the story of the baptism of Christ today and understanding, understand what Luke's version of this story specifically has to tell us. It's hard for me, though, to look at the baptism of Jesus and not on some level say why. It's hard for me to look at the baptism of Jesus growing up as someone who understood baptism as an inward sign or an outward sign of an inward change, of a declaration of redemption, of admitting in that moment that we need a savior. It is hard for me to look at that and see the baptism of the Son of God and say, what, not say, why is he doing this? Even in the text, we see that John the Baptist, a religious leader, rivaled basically only by Jim Jones when it comes to weirdness, uh, outright claimed that this baptism is a baptism of repentance, of preparing the way of the Lord. So why does Jesus need this? Except for maybe for a bath. It's in the examination of this question that we can understand, I think, exactly what Luke's gospel is trying to tell us about Jesus and about this baptism. In Luke's version of this story, we see the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. The contrast between these two people, because the lectionary text skipped over a couple of verses in the middle, you might have noticed, and those verses are just an aside that basically tells us what the gospel tells us later, that John the Baptist got into a mess shortly after this and was arrested by Herod, an arrest that would lead to his execution. To Luke, this story is a passing of the torch of sorts, a, a moment in the relay where John's run is ending and Jesus' run is beginning. Jesus is starting his ministry in this moment just as John's ministry is coming to an end. John's calling for repentance is the thesis of John's ministry. It's basically him saying, this is what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. But in this story, we see the skies open up and the spirit of the Lord descend in the shape of a dove and the voice of the father of lights say, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. This is my son, the beloved in him, I'm well pleased. It's like this event, the skies opening up, are the focus of the baptism of Christ. It's the reason Jesus is going through this ritual in the first place. That makes sense though, right? The God of all creation is coming down from heaven and saying, this guy, I like this guy. Listen to what he has to say. Deep down, it's an affirmation that we're all kind of looking for on some level. So my favorite TV show right now is a show called The Good Place. And this week's episode struck me during this when I was thinking about this because there was a moment where this guy's giving this like life or death uh, like spiel to this committee. And they said, we're going to deliberate on what you're saying, but while we're deliberating, one of us is going to come and shower you with compliments. And the guy stands there and says, you're, you're just such a good speaker. 
and you're just a great height, and you that suit fits you really well, and you have your 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 energy and your presence is just electric, and he just keeps going. And it's Ted Danson who is giving the speech, and he's like, you know, I thought I'd hate this, but this is really nice because deep down, all of us, no matter what situation that we are in, some form of affirmation brings us joy and tells us what we need to hear. It is life-giving. This is my child, my beloved. In this one I am well pleased is the kind of affirmation all of us strive for. And I don't believe that Jesus is any different. In this moment, at the beginning of his ministry, before Jesus has done anything, God is saying, I am pleased with you. Jesus is receiving the word from his father that is going to fuel him throughout his life and ministry. I'm well pleased in you is the kind of thing we'd expect to hear after we've done anything. But Jesus has not yet turned water into wine. Jesus has not yet raised the dead. He has not yet brought sight to the blind. But God still loves him and God is still proud of him. In this moment of the story, Jesus has done nothing. He's just getting started. Ultimately, this level of affirmation is the reason Jesus got in the water that day. Knowing God cares this much spurns him to act and continue in the face of adversity. Hearing those words gives him the ability to keep moving. Now, Alicia said, told the kids earlier, as Baptists, we believe that we are supposed to follow Jesus into the water. Just as his journey began in the Jordan, we believe that we begin our faith journey through the act of baptism. How does this reading of Jesus' baptism explain this tradition? I believe we get the answer to that question today through our other lectionary texts. First, the text from the book of Acts. This is a tiny section of Acts that takes place right after the martyrdom of Stephen, when basically everyone but the apostles have run off because Saul has started persecuting. And so they're all going to the ends of the earth, in part because Jesus told them to, but more likely because that Saul guy is murdering people. Um, and so they have to get away. So Philip goes out to a town in Samaria. And that's where we see this text today, because Philip starts talking to these Samaritans, and it's, it goes pretty well because basically the whole town comes to faith in Christ. And something is up about this little text. I think there's something, I don't know if there's something missing or what, but uh, basically just a little bit more background of what happens. Philip uh, tells these people, and like the text says, they don't receive the Holy Spirit, but they do receive baptism in the name of Jesus. So to help with this receiving of the Holy Spirit, two of the three big deals show up. Peter and John show up to try to, to, to help out. I don't know if they're acting as a, as a cleanup crew or if they're, uh, you know, if it's just like he sent them a note that said, guys, I, I did my best and I think it went pretty well, but I just can't finally clinch it. So can you come help out? But uh, I want to take an aside real quick to talk about uh, what this means for a second, because we are talking about two different baptisms. Uh, just as John the Baptist talked about two different baptisms and talking about the fact that he will baptize with water, but the Christ will uh, come and baptize in the Holy Spirit. Um, we see in the baptism story of Jesus, two things occur. We see the sky open up and the voice come, but we also see 
the bodily form of a dove of the Holy Spirit come and rest on Jesus. This receiving of the Holy Spirit to the writer of Luke and Acts was a very important part of the initiation of Christian religious life. Jesus received it at his baptism. At Pentecost, the the apostles receive it. And after that event, most folks in the Acts narrative receive it upon coming to faith. What I find fascinating is that in this town in Samaria, for some reason, there's this break. And it requires John and Peter to come in and, and help out in some way, shape, or form. The gospel writer is hitting home for some reason that these Samaritans who, as you know, have had a tumultuous relationship with the folks of Israel, a Hatfields and McCoys type situation, in sharing a border that is marked with strife, are just as a part of this new movement as everyone else. Peter and John going there is an affirmation of their newfound faith. Peter and John going there as basically the leaders of this movement now that Jesus is no longer on this earth is them saying that we affirm you. We believe in you. They don't supernaturally hand out access to the Holy Spirit as these two that are able to do that while no one else can. But it's when they started being affirming to each other that the Holy Spirit came down. It is when they let all of the the preconceived notions about who Samaritans are run away that the church was able to get started. It's this kind of affirmation from God and from each other that can spur us on to minister to others, to live out the kingdom of God. So the baptism of Jesus is important as the initiation of Jesus' earthly ministry, and it is important because it's the moment when the skies open up and the other two parts of the Trinity connect with him, affirm his calling, and in effect ordain him to carry out his ministry on earth. We later see in Acts the Samaritan people baptized by Philip and then baptized in the Spirit in the presence of Peter and John, whose presence shows an affirming of the faith of these that if the status quo were kept would be on the other side of the wall. They would be outsiders of the faith. They would be outsiders from the communion. But that's probably the most important effect of the baptism of Christ and to, the extent, to an extent the life and ministry of Christ is that it opens the door for us to each other. We talked about Epiphany last week and Alicia shared that Epiphany is seen as the first preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. As these wizards basically came searching for a king and listening to the stars. That told us that God can speak through anything. But the story today tells us that God can speak to anyone. The skies could open up if God wanted them to, but God instead chose to speak through us. Like John the Baptist, we're to point folks to Jesus, of whom we're not even worthy enough to untie the sandals. Like Philip, we're supposed to share God's love with all those the world tells us is unlovable. And like Peter and John, we're supposed to invite them into our community. Our last text today is the text from Isaiah that Alicia read. In it, God proclaims promises to Israel. 
that God has called them by name and has redeemed them. Like our other stories, in effect, this redemption, this affirmation of ownership comes not because of anything Israel did. If anything, it's in spite of what Israel has done. As Isaiah is writing at a time when Israel and Judah's record isn't the best and their future isn't bright. This is a time when they are spread to the winds, when Babylon has taken over, when there, nothing seems right in the world. But God emphatically says, you are precious in my sight and you are honored and I love you. I'm amazed by the beauty and weight of these words. I'm even more amazed at what comes after them because you see, God puts out the all call for God's people. At a time when Israel is scattered to the wind, it's in this moment that God says, I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Now, to the Jewish people, this is a word of hope. This is a word of a coming together. I don't know if y'all are aware, but one of the things about the Passover tradition uh, is that it's very consistent during Passover that people will toast and they will say next year in Jerusalem, this hope that at some point all of the Jewish people will be together, this hope that, that the family will be together. And that's what this feels like, right? This is, it doesn't matter, north, south, east, or west, the family will come home. But the next line is the line that might bring us the same amount of hope. God ends all this by saying, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, everyone, all of us. Israel is receiving this word, yes, but God ends it by reminding them, yes, you're mine and I love you. Yes, you are precious in my sight, but so is everyone I've made. These people are also mine. I also love them. It's like the people of Israel are walking into their dad's house for a Thanksgiving meal and are fascinated by the number of leaves God keeps putting in the table. And when they say, how many people did you invite? He says, folks from the north and folks from the south and folks from the east and folks from the west. And they say, God, that sounds like everyone. And God just says, exactly. Through the waters of baptism, God affirms God's love for you as a daughter and God's love for you as a son, as the apple of God's eye. Might we hear those words today and hold them close to us. Might we let the love of God change us and teach us how to love ourselves so that in doing so, we can learn how to love others the same way. Might directions and borders mean nothing to us, just as they mean nothing to God, as we share the kinship of God with everyone made in God's image. Because the skies don't tend to open up anymore. The stars don't tend to light the way to a manger, but sometimes the fact that God can show acceptance and affirmation and God's love through us is just as much of a miracle. Let us pray.